0: the deacon board I've got a couple announcements to make this morning. I got kind of good news and really good news. The first of every month now for three years we've been taking two offerings. One offering for the general and one offering for the building. Next week will be our last building fund offering so if you want to contribute extra or if you're behind or if you've missed or whatever, that's the last building offering. That's the good news. The really good news is that in A month or two, we should be in a position to pay off the mortgage.
1: So we will owe no money. That's all I had. Thanks, Vance. Sorry, he just makes me laugh. I love him. I want to pray for us. Um, And today we are going to take two offerings because our second one is what Mark reported on last week for the missionaries that we support. So let's just pray together. Uh, God, we love you and we just love to be in your presence. Lord, I, I pray that you would change us from the inside out, Father. That as we sing these songs to you, as we lift up the name of Jesus on high, Lord, that you would inhabit our praises, that you would give power to your word this morning. It is living and active and I pray that, um, Father, we would live by it. Uh, God, we want to see people who are far from you come, come close by the love of Jesus and the blood that covers us, Father. And so we claim that blood this morning and the freedom that it gives. Um, Lord, help us to seek after you and your kingdom with everything that we are. I pray that you would find us giving now um, as cheerful givers, um, just thankful for what you have so graciously provided us with. God, we love you and we need you. I pray that you would um, receive this praise now in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: It's great to see everyone here. I hope everyone had a a great Thanksgiving and uh, had a chance to get out and walk off some of the turkey and get that tryptophan out of your system. Today we are back in the book of James, James chapter 5, and it's always interesting sometimes when you're going through a book to see the juxtaposition between the time of year and the passage you get to. So you can imagine as the first time I kind of sat down and looked through this passage and realized, oh, this is going to be the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and then it starts, come now, you rich, weep and howl. Oh, that's going to be, that's going to fit right in with the holiday. But um, we're excited to look into God's Word. Um, You know, one of the things about God's Word that makes it so um, incredible and so uh, unique is that every time we open God's Word, He's reshaping our hearts. He's bringing us back to his truth. Because, you know, as we go through this world, our hearts are just naturally shaped by the culture around us. They're naturally shaped by the belief systems of the world. And so we continually need to come back to God's word and be reshaped and renewed. And so this morning, I want to start with a question The question is this, what do you treasure? Now this passage from James, I've I've titled this message, A Tale of Two Treasures. I've never read the uh, famous book by Charles Dickens. I suppose I should put that on my list sometime, but the title fit with with where we're going today and what this passage is going to show us. And really, this passage is a passage about treasure. So as you think about this question, what do I treasure? There's probably different things that come to mind. Um, It could be family, it could be health could be security, uh, so many different things. And, and I'm sure if we went around this room and, and asked everyone to kind of share what comes to your, your mind, we would have a lot of different answers. And really, there's no probably one answer, but as you think about our hearts, really our hearts are, are kind of a, a network and a system full of these things that we treasure. And kind of the big truth, the big picture takeaway that I want to leave you with is this, what we treasure, will transform us. So the things that we value, the things that we hold dear, the things that we hold in our hearts and that we put in that place of, of most importance are the things that are going to change us. Those are the things that are going to mold our actions, mold our character, and really affect the outcome of our life. And so as we, as we go to to James chapter 5 we're going to look at the first 11 verses today in this tale of two treasures we're going to look at first a treasure that ruins and secondly a treasure that renews so let's let's jump in let's read the first 6 verses to start it goes like this come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So again, these probably, you're not going to probably take any of these verses and write them down in an uh, encouraging card to someone. Uh, this is, these six verses are verses of judgment, and they really echo the kind of language that you would read as if you go back and, and read through like Old Testament prophets language of judgment and language of condemnation and really there is uh in this section is really a um, kind of a very detailed indictment um, of the rich and the powerful when james was writing this letter and you know given that human nature is a constant these these same kind of things we can see in our culture today and really there are i see five indictments against the rich in this section wasteful hoarding eternity ignored frauds outcry selfish indulgence and courtroom corruption and we'll just look at these quickly the first wasteful hoarding you see it in verse two says your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten your gold and silver have corroded. So back in the, in, in the time when James was writing, in the first century, Israel, there were really probably three main sources of wealth that you could look at. The first would be grain. Uh, think of the, the parable that Jesus told of the rich man who had filled his barns with, with food. And if you, if you were rich and you had the ability to, to store your own grain, that's something that you would do because it provides you a lot of security if there was ever a time of famine. And you see, he says, your, your riches have rotted. That's, you know, this idea that someone that has stored up so much food that they can't possibly eat it, they can't possibly use it. To the point where it has begun to rot and become useless to anyone. And then he says, your garments are moth-eaten. Another source of, of wealth would be clothing. Now, if you were very rich, you could afford to have expensive clothes. You could afford to uh, really spend a lot of time and and energy and effort on your clothes. And I don't think he's talking about the Black Friday specials. I think you're talking about uh, rich robes, rich uh, material that was just so far out of reach for, for the ordinary person. And this idea that someone has so many clothes that they can't even wear them all uh, because the moths are coming and eating them and you know, pulling out this garment. Oh, I haven't worn that in five years. You know, now, We may have some of those things too, but they're probably not quite the same. But this idea that your, your grain is rotting, your clothes are, you have so many of them, you can't even use them all. And your gold and silver have corroded. Just this idea of, of things wearing out, running down. And we see this in our own lives, right? Um, think back to when you were a kid, you know, maybe you had some present that you looked forward to for your birthday or something, right? And when you got that bike or that uh, BB gun or whatever it was that, you know what? It was just a matter of time before something broke on it, right? You know, it, it seems like you, on Christmas morning, it's like everyone's excited at like 7 o'clock, and then by noon, it's like half the, the presents are broken, Right? You know, Proverbs 23, when it talks about wealth, it says it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. When I got my first job and I was excited, it had a, they had a 401k program and you could put a little percentage of your money into it every month. And they said, you know, don't, don't worry about going out and looking at it because it's, you know, it doesn't matter. But of course, I didn't listen to that. And I started, you know, kind of tracking where things were at. And, you know, without any, really regard to what you were doing. You started to notice after a few years that, you know, it'd be going up and down and, and changing from month to month. And it's, it's like, you know, when 2008 hit, and you, and you, you know, this number that you have that's just like completely decimated, and you realize how temporary money is, how temporary this world's riches are. And, and that's the idea that, that's the indictment that James is really putting out there, that people have so much that they can't possibly use it right and and there are verses in the Bible that talk about the importance of being prudent and and the importance of saving and the idea I think there's sometimes maybe a fine line between saving and hoarding but I think it I think the line is this is that what can be reasonably used okay when someone gets to the point where they have so much that it's going to waste that it can't even be used and be put to use as, as the tool that God designed it to be uh, then it becomes, I think, sinful and, and uh, something that, that God is not pleased by. Um, the second indictment, eternity ignored. Just this idea uh, where he says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. That, here's a group of people that has completely disregarded the idea that there's an end coming. This earth is not forever. It's not going to last. It's all going to wear out. And they have failed to take that into account. And then it says in verse 4, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. So picture these rich landowners um, who would go and hire people to, to help them out and to, to to work and bring in the harvest, and then say at the end of the day, oh, you know, I'll pay you later, I'll pay you later. And that is something that really brings great displeasure to God. You know, God is a God who cares for the poor. He cares for the worker. He cares for uh, the common man, right? And it, when, anytime you have a situation where there are powerful people that are using their influence to defraud, God is, God is really, really angry at that. And so, they, so that was happening. Leviticus 19.3 talks about the importance. You know, one of the laws that Jews had was that they were supposed to pay their labors every day, you know, because you have these day labors coming in, they were supposed to pay them every day. And so these these rich, powerful people were ignoring that. Selfish indulgence, you see that in verse 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Just this idea that everything they had was all for the purpose of their own self-interest. And then courtroom corruption, verse 6, you have Condemned and murdered the righteous person, he does not resist you. And so, when this language of condemning, I think what's happening there is not maybe a literal murdering of someone, but it is people that have a lot of influence and lawyers, and they can call in debts and they can extract everything that they can get from people that are very poor and without resources. And so, you know, if you think about it, if you you take someone poor to court and you take away their home or you take away their land. Um, in many senses, this, this was, could be looked at as, as actually murdering them because you're taking away their livelihood, taking away their ability to support themselves. And anytime there's injustice like that, God calls down judgment on that. So as you look at all these indictments on the rich and think about why is, why is James putting, putting all these in here? You know, I think there's some disagreement about Is James writing this for the purpose of, you know, are there Christians that are living this way inside the church? And that's certainly a possibility, and you see uh, some commentators who take that perspective. Another, you know, point of view is that James is including this condemnation here for the purpose of, for people to say, hey, look at the end of the rich. Don't desire it. Don't long for what they have. Don't be jealous of, of where they are in their station in life, because this is their end. See that see the, the destination that they're heading for so that, you don't, so that you don't end up in the same place. And so if you look at this prelude to judgment, how did we get here? How did the rich end up where they are? I just want you to look at two quick passages from the book of James, so you only have to turn back a couple pages. First is James 1:14 to 15. It says... Each person is tempted when he was lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So note the progression. The person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire gives birth to sin and sin to death. And then look at James four: one to three, where it says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Again, look at this, this inner battle, this inner war, this heart condition. Verse 2, it says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you do not ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So here's this group of people that James is writing to. Um, They're they're going through trials. And so what's natural is when you're going through a trial, you want to reach out to something that's going to help you, right? And, you know, the most natural thing for us in our kind of human condition is to say, boy, if I just had riches, if I just had more money, that would take care of this trial. That would take care of this, this hard thing that I'm going through. And what James is trying to show is that the desire, the coveting, the longing for these things, he's wanting people to connect that inside attitude to its final result. And so look at, you see this pattern in both these passages, this desire, act, consequence. So the desire in in chapter four of of coveting um, and desiring what you do not have leads to the fighting, which leads to the condemnation. And then when you get to chapter five, you kind of see it in full force, just this idea that even the riches that these powerful people have accumulated are standing in judgment on them. The riches are actually not providing them safety, the riches are actually providing them with judgment. And so really that's kind of the portrait of the treasure that ruins. And I love this quote, when you put your heart on things that rust, your heart will rust with them. And so what's the alternative? Let's look at verses 7 through 11. Think about a treasure that renews. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful." And so what James is saying is, you need to see clearly where the rich are headed, the unjust rich, in their desire to use everything for themselves. You need to take that as a warning and pursue a better path. And this is what it looks like. It's prizing patience. It's remembering the return of the king. It's strengthening your hearts, saying goodbye to grumbling. And it's reflecting on forerunners. Prizing patience. It says it right away in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And he gives this illustration to kind of show what it looks like. What does patience look like? It looks like a farmer. It says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You know, once the farmer's put down his seed, into the ground, uh, there's very little that he can do. Now, there are, there are tasks that he's about, you know, weeding and watering sometimes and providing, you know, whatever he can do, putting fertilizer on. But really, no matter what, no matter what you do, you, know, you, you can't make that harvest get there any quicker. So all the farmer can do is wait. But he knows. He knows that that harvest is coming, right? So he waits for it patiently. And that's the same thing for us. You know, if we know... That there is a kingdom coming that cannot be shaken and we need to wait for it like the farmer and say you know what by my actions i'm putting down seeds of righteousness that are gonna be harvested harvested into a harvest of righteousness because that's what it says at the end of chapter three it says a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace and so what kind of seeds are we putting down what kind of things are we planting that we can be patient for? And remembering the return of the king. You know, the, the treasure was mentioned earlier in the book of James, and it's, it really comes from, from James chapter 2, where he said, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? You know, there's a kingdom coming. There's a king that is bringing a new reign, a new system. And while we wait for that, we recognize that, hey, once the king comes, everything changes. Today's currency does not matter in that kingdom. One of my favorite illustrations about this is from uh, the book The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. And he talks about, he wants you to imagine the scenario that you are alive during the Civil War and that you are maybe someone who, is from the north, but you are stuck living in the south. And so, during this time of uh, war, um, as it's getting closer to the end of the war, perhaps, you can see the end coming. You know, you know what? Another couple years, the north is going to win. And so, you're sitting there with this confederate money, right? You can't take that money. You can't spend it in the north. It's useless there. But you know a change is coming. And so, Wouldn't it be silly to just say, I'm going to accumulate as much Confederate money as I can if you know that in a couple years, that money is useless. It's not going to do you any good when the South has fallen. And that's the same situation we live in now, right? All the wealth, all the riches, all the money that we can acquire is just Confederate money. It's got an expiration date. And so what does he say to do? What else? He says, strengthen your hearts. Verse 8, he says, be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You know, this word establish is the idea of really putting something, nailing it down, making it firm, reinforcing it, building a foundation. Because we don't want to have hearts that are constantly jumping around, right? From, From priority to priority, from treasure to treasure. We want hearts that are going to be firm and steadfast, hearts that that know where their hope is laid. And so he says, establish your hearts, strengthen your hearts. And so if we know that something better is coming, you know, we want to get rid of things like grumbling and fighting and this, you know, this attitude that looks at today as all that matters. And so what he says, he says, look in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Look at those people that came before. Look at all those prophets. Did they see the day arrive where Jesus was born? No, but they prophesied for it, and they lived their entire life under the knowledge, under the conviction that the Messiah is coming, and as James sits there and writes, he says, "You know what? They're vindicated. All the sacrifice, all the things they gave up, all the persecution that they endured from unrighteous kings, is all for nothing now because the Messiah has come, and they were used to usher in, usher in that uh, that change." You know, Randy Alcorn also says, "You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead." And so that's this idea of this, of this 7 through 11, is that we are pursuing better treasure, right? In spite of the trials, we continue to pursue better treasure. And if you think of this kind of idea of this inward treasures working themselves out into our actions and into a final consequence, you know, you think, as we pursue a treasure that renews, what are those things that, what are those heart attitudes that we want to foster? And they're these, they're patience their joy, their peace, their wisdom. These are all the things that James has been reminding us about in this whole book. You know, pursue wisdom, ask for it. Remember that every good and perfect gift comes from above. It doesn't come from down here. And if those are the things that we pursue as treasures in our hearts and act on them, you know, James 1.12 shows us where, where the destination is. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. It's another word for patient under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Harvest of righteousness, a crown of life. These are the things that, they don't seem real to us, right? Because we're, we're not living with them day to day. It's like, oh, that seems like a nice sentiment. And this is why we come back to God's word over and over again, because we are so prone to forget. We're so prone to just live for the day, to forget that a better kingdom is coming, right? And so this is why we continue to say, God, reshape me, reform me by your word. Help me to see the priorities that matter for eternity. And we go back to this question, you know, what do I treasure? And how am I being transformed by that treasure? And before we take the bread... I want you you to look at uh, verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6 says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now that verse kind of throws you for a loop. It's like, who is he talking about there? And there's different opinions. Again, it could be the same people that have been being oppressed and had their wages withheld. There's another possibility, and that's that James is talking about Jesus here. You know, where it, where it translates the righteous person, you know, if you, if you go back and look at the, at the Greek, it's just one word there. It's really, if you read it literally, you have condemned and murdered the righteous. And in English, we have to add something else to that. So we'll either say the righteous person or the righteous one. But that same language was used in Acts 7, 752, which says, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. The same thing, of the righteous one. So if this is talking about Jesus, he's really reminding them that Who were the people that killed Jesus? Were they not the rich, the powerful, the connected? And what was Jesus' response? It says, he does not resist you. You know, in order for us to be translated into a better kingdom, a lasting kingdom, the king from that better kingdom, the king who had everything, every lasting riches, every highest honor and glory that could never be taken away, he had to give that up. And he had to humble himself and come and live as a common carpenter. And he had to take the punishment that we deserved so that he could give us the opportunity to have our citizenship placed into a kingdom that can never fail. And as we take the bread and the cup, uh, that's what we remember. And as we take it today, let's ask ourselves, where is my treasure? And let's ask God to reveal to us our hearts and say, where do we need to change? Where do our priorities need to move so that we can build treasure in a place that it will never disappear from? Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the one who possessed every riches and gave it up so that he could save us. Father, reveal our hearts to us. Lord, may we repent of the trust that we put in earthly wealth, in temporary treasures, God. Renew our hearts today. Help us to pursue the better treasure, to wait for it patiently, to see the end. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. That song has the line, you traded heaven to have me again but does that touch us today does that impact us the fact that the god of the universe traded heaven to rescue us to rescue people who are constantly running after our own desires uh, let's just ask god to transform us this week to let his treasure really shape our hearts and minds. Um, The band's gonna lead us in one more song and uh, thank everyone for coming this week and look forward to seeing you next week.